welcome to the Rob Burgess Show. I'm, of course, your host, Rob Burgess. On this, our 107th episode, our returning guest is Jonathan Fowler. You first heard Jonathan Fowler on episodes 2, 10, 20, 21, 29, 30, 31, 32, 34, 35, 43, 48, 51, 56, 64, 74, 83, 92, 102, 103, 104, 105, 106, and episode 82, also featuring fellow regular guest Ash Burgess of the podcast. Jonathan graduated with a BA in history from Indiana University in 2006. He's an unabashed left-wing political junkie. He has lived and worked in South Korea for over 10 years, trying to help the citizens of that great nation hopefully talk pretty one day. And if you haven't started reading Michael Wolff's book, Fire and Fury Inside the Trump White House yet, consider this your official warning to start now. This episode is the fifth in a series in which Jonathan and I will break down the entire book. And now, on to the show. Yeah, hello. Hey, what's up? Hey, Bob, how are you? Oh, pretty good. You sound more coherent today. Yeah. Oh, last night I wasn't going to drink soju, but... Then I did. <laughs> Always a bad mistake, but uh, it was being pushed on me by some uh, uh, appealing pushers, I guess we could say. <laughs> I see. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, what's going on these days? Oh, nothing much. Uh, I think there was a couple of topics we didn't cover last time <laughs> that you wanted to get to, sounds like. Okay. And what would those have been? Uh, let's see. Well, uh, according to I'm, your message, I'm actually not really clear. I know we talked about like Tanahisi coats, Tanahisi coats rather, and uh, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know much else what we talked about. Mm-hmm. We talked about Trump at all, or mm, not so much. Uh, you said you mm-hmm. wanted to mention the Texas shooting. Oh yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Another another one of those. Although. What's really to be said at, about it at this point? Mm-hmm. It's just going to keep happening, obviously. And yeah. Well, and there was uh, school resource officers there with guns. Didn't didn't help. Didn't stop it. But we already knew that back from when Columbine, because I mean there was a school resource officer at Columbine too. So you know, just having police there isn't going to stop somebody who's on like a suicidal mission. So. To be fair, Columbine, like, nobody saw it coming, really. I mean, like, that was, like, kind of an original. Well, yeah, and then also that was a failed bombing, too. It wasn't necessarily planned as a school shooting. That was kind of a last-ditch effort when the bombs didn't go off. They went in. If you've ever read, uh, you should uh, one book you should read, if you haven't, is uh, Dave Collins' book, uh, Columbine. Um, hmm. That's a good one. Okay. Yeah, no, I haven't heard of it, but... Yeah, I don't know. It sounds like this guy was trying to copycat that stuff. It sounds like he was wearing like a quote-unquote duster, which is a word that I haven't heard. <laughs> since trench coat mafia. Around yeah, the trench coat, so to speak. Like mm-hmm. a, I haven't heard it called a duster since mm-hmm. the late 90s, early 2000s, I don't think. so. <clears throat> I haven't seen those be worn in any great frequency since then. So, <laughs> Yeah, probably in 2017, if you're... Wearing a quote, you're wearing a duster, and you don't live in Texas. <laughs> uh, that should, oh, well, in this case, I mean, this was Texas, I guess. Never mind. But I'm, I'm saying, if, like, you're not a cowboy, and you're wearing a duster. Yeah, that should raise some eyebrows. Mm-hmm. You should probably have your your ability to 
get guns uh, revoked. Although, from what I understand, this kid took his like dad or stepdad's gun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think yeah. about that as far as like liability concerns? Like, do you think the know. person who owns the gun should be held liable if they don't lock up their guns correctly? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's like one of these things. Like every, I, I don't know. I think there's. It's just one of these things. I think that has to happen to every single person before everybody gets it through their head. Like everybody feels like they've got a normal family, and nobody in their family would ever do anything bad. And you know, they've raised them well and taught them well about how to shoot and hold them and handle them and so forth and care for them and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You know, it's just you. You can't. I don't know how they were, you know, kept. I, I think, like, the case where the police, like, what was the previous one where the, the police took this kid's guns away and then they gave them back to the dad on his own, like, reconnaissance or whatever. Mm-hmm. Reconnaissance or however you say it. And, reconnaissance, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Then he gave them back to the kid. It's like, uh, duh, who could have seen that coming? Of course the dad doesn't think he, his kid's going to shoot up the school, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, they had a similar thing with red flags being raised with the Parkland shooter, too. But, I mean, there's only so much you can do in the bar for declaring someone, you know, incompetent mentally is so high that, you know, we'd have to uh, take away a lot of people's guns if that was the case, you know. So, um, people get into... uh, constitutionality reasons there but you know i i don't know <laughs> yeah, i think yeah. if you want to have a musket you could you should be allowed to have a musket anytime you want everything else is probably got to have a higher bar i think <laughs> yeah i think i mean i think some reasonable reasonable stuff could be done and like of course you know the the second amendment absolutists or whatever will complain about a slippery slope and all this stuff but i mean the, the fact is like you can look at the facts about different countries and what they've done and what the results have been. You, you can look at things like the, you know, the expiration of the assault weapons ban and the <clears throat> increase. And, I, you know, and, you know, we've also, I think, I think something like, you know, <clears throat> America went into a recession in 2008. And I don't really think that people have, <clears throat> you know, we've got the, the op- opioid ep- epidemic and we've got other problems and stuff and i just don't know that people have really connected everything mm-hmm. to the to the socioeconomic stuff that's happened in america in the last decade or so sure it's all connected that's for sure so but yeah i mean obviously that was i think that's something we should mention you know and so far as we deal with the news and stuff mm-hmm yeah definitely so i mean yeah look at australia i mean they had a mass shooting they took away all the assault rep weapons there's not been one since so and uh i saw a uh, statistic that it's actually more dangerous to go to school this year than it is to be in combat if you're a soldier so yeah like the casualty rate is higher yeah it's it's a it's a choice at a certain point and Mm -hmm. America seems to have made its choice. And so we'll just, you know, unfortunately kids got to write it out and stuff. And I I don't remember if we talked about it or not, but we found out that somebody in our school had found out that when we were freshmen or sophomores, I think it was when we were freshmen Mm -hmm. that somebody at school had 
brought a gun to school and was planning to do something, but somebody mm-hmm. reported it, and that person was removed from school, I guess, and I don't really know who it was. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to go back and kind of figure it out, do some detective work or whatever, but, mm-hmm. you know, that would have been 97. That would have predated Columbine's. Mm-hmm. I think we talked about it before, but, you know, uh, it's like that disco song said... You know what I'm talking about? Staying alive. <laughs> uh, there before the grace of God go I. Yeah. <laughs> I think that was a phrase before really that did. song, but yes, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> Disco really did have all the answers. It really did. That's true. That's that's a good good that's a good worst to live by. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I do appreciate the willingness of uh, the pro-gun people to turn the attention in any other direction besides the guns. Uh, that you know, I, I believe we mentioned it last time, but uh, Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick said there were too many entrances and too many exits uh, yeah. in the schools. Yeah, that I bet, was, the, I bet the school know. shooter would have hated it if there was just mm-hmm. one way for all of his victims to try to get out. <laughs> yeah, right. That would have really that would have fucked up his plan. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You fire one shot at the entrance, and then you just wait for them all to come mm-hmm. running. The bottleneck ensues. I mean, like, do these people even think before they say shit? I mean, like, <laughs> I, oh, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, yeah, build a building with one entry and one exit, and then see how many casualties you have. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, I, I mean, I'm just, you know, I'm just reacting to that quote right in the moment right now, and that's mm-hmm. the first thing that comes to my mind is, like, it's like we've got some Republicans saying, well, you know, maybe the sea level rises because rocks are falling in the ocean somewhere. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I, I mean, these people. It's amazing. I, how do they How do they get elected to anything? How, what do they qualify for? <laughs> I mean, they, 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 I don't know, you know. I mean, if you ask me to, I, I, admit, I admit, like, you know, sometimes you get caught with a question that you're not expecting or not prepared for and you've got to, you know. Uh, come up with something on the spot and it's not always, you know, not always very smart, but the fact that I'm able to like think of, um, uh, I don't know, the, uh, common sense should say that these are not good answers. And like, <laughs> it's, it is these people's responsibility to come up with answers. And mm-hmm. I don't know. But he went on to say, the issue is not about guns, it's about us. We have devalued life, whether it's through abortion, whether it's through the breakup of the families, through violent movies, and particularly violent video games. Wait, Cha, reactions? Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm still trying to get I'm I'm still trying to get chicken dinners in Player Unknown's battlegrounds, and I've killed you know I've committed small massacres on the island (laughs) in that in that pursuit, but I have not shot up my school yet. So yeah, stay posted. Just a matter of time. (laughs) Yeah, but um, Oliver North is the head of the C or the NRA now, right? Or something. Sure is. Yep. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think I saw something. He was complaining about the culture of violence, and there was a headline that said, like, he consulted on uh, Call of Duty, one of the Call of Duty mm-hmm. games, which are, you know, some of the most violent shooters out there. Of mm-hmm. uh, not that they're exceptional shooters. They're very, very, you know, standard, but they're, mm-hmm. you know, they're fun. But if you're going to, you know, if you're going to blame the culture of violence instead of guns, then you probably, I don't know. It's it's just, you know, it's just... Uh, 
remarkably stupid people who don't think one step ahead of what they're going to say. Mm-hmm. They just know they need to say something other than the obvious factual answer. So. Yeah, exactly. Have you uh, played Fallout? Uh, yeah. How is it? Yeah, I played uh, Fallout 3 and Fallout New Vegas. Have and you played, played Fallout, Fallout 4 yet? Yeah, I played some of it. Yeah, I think so. The Fallout games, though, the problem with them is you get bogged down in so many side missions. It's, the world's so big, and there's so many people asking you to do so many things. Mm. I've never finished a Fallout game, even though I've wanted to. But I just get you know so wrapped up in doing, like, I want to upgrade this gun, or I want to you know uh, create a robot who will help me, or I want to finish this thing of armor. Or I, I need, I've got, like, 20 side quests that I need to do, and I'm confused about where I'm supposed to go on this one. So... I forget about the main missions and I just stop playing eventually when a new game comes out. So mm-hmm. they're good games in a way. Yeah. I've just heard that people are very, uh, you know, obsessed with those lately. So really fallout hasn't had a new game for several years though. Fallout four was like at least one or two years ago. Maybe I'm thinking of a different one. Oh, is it far cry? Maybe Am I thinking of that? Far Cry 5, possibly. Far Cry 5, yeah, I think that's the other one people are talking about. Yeah, I've played pretty much all of the Far Cries. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that that must be the one that people are, because that one just came out in March, so. Yeah, it's about like a religious cult leader in the in the Midwest or something somewhere. And it's supposedly sort of political, but apparently not really or something. I think Mm. they kind of like, they toyed with the idea of being like, you know, political, but then they made it, uh, you know, sort of a religious cult so that it doesn't actually, so it's not like you're actually massacring Trump voters, which is, (laughs) you know, (laughs) if if they had the courage of their convictions, then I might've picked it up. Well, I'll tell you who, who kept it real, uh, was the Wolfenstein, uh, franchise because, uh, they had a new, uh, Wolfenstein, I guess, come out, uh, right around the time that, uh, remember, remember when, uh, Richard Spencer got punched in the face when he was explaining what Pepe was, uh, the, the neo-Nazi guy. Yeah, that was a fun video. Yeah, they had a, um, commercial that they posted on their Twitter account for, uh, for Wolfenstein that was like, punch more Nazis or whatever right after that, so... Yeah. But I mean, that was they, yeah, they, they kept it real. They kept it true to their roots because that's what it's about. It's about defeating werewolf Nazis. So you gotta you gotta keep it keep it one hundred. Yeah. So I've never been big on Wolfenstein, like Wolfenstein. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I played the Duke Nukem reboot when they came out with that, and it was it was an amazing game in some ways. It was a horrible game in other ways. Um, but mm-hmm. I've I've, not, I've never been really big on those old school shooters. You know, since the early '90s with Doom and stuff. I, although I did play some of the Dooms that they re-released and stuff, and they've made some updated versions of those. But mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think um, I don't know. I think modern shooters like uh, Call of Duty, where you can aim down the iron sights and stuff. Like a lot of those old shooters, you're just like shooting from the lower right-hand corner of your screen, or from directly from the center of your screen with like a gun that's not at all realistic and stuff. But uh, I don't know. Later games have become much more uh, realistic, or they give you more control, or something. I don't know. Anyways, sounds like you almost agree with Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. Wait, who, what did he say? Well, he was just saying that, like, basically, it's the fault of video games and abortion and whatever for uh, devaluing human life. Mm, Do you think it's desensitizing people? <laughs> Um, no, 
I don't think so. I don't know. I mean, you know, obviously, I think, you know, violent entertainment versus, you know, I think it's, again, a, a correlation rather than a causation situation. Like, if you're the type of person who is okay with massacring civilians in public, you're also not going to have any qualms about playing a video game where you also get to shoot people. I don't. I think there are <laughs> millions, if not billions, of people who play violent video games who never ever yeah. commit violence. Well, it's it's kind of like how they say marijuana is a gateway drug. But honestly, if you're going to do heroin anyway, you're not going to stop at marijuana first. You're not going to turn that down in the meantime. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a uh, it's a detail that a lot of people. I don't know. We just we don't have the best thinkers these days. <laughs> no, we not don't. that not that I'm the best thinker, but I'm just saying, like, <laughs> they're, not, they're not sending us our best people. They're best people. Yeah, we're not winning anymore with these thinkers. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So, um, in other news, I heard that I think uh, what is it? I think Sweden is preparing for like World War Three now or something. Today they're. Uh, re- rearming their uh, nuclear fallout shelters that have been like decommissioned since the Cold War, mm. and they're distributing uh, warnings about how to survive in the case of a war to all citizens or something like that because they think Russia is a threat again, and they don't feel probably like that America is going to counterbalance it right now. Obviously, so. I mean, yeah, we want them to pay up, right? I mean, that's their, that's Trump's thing, right? Is he wants them to pay, like, 3% of their GDP or or else? That's the new line. Well, I mean, um, well, it's, it's, you know, it's probably similar to the mafia racket anyways because they pay 3% of their GDP or whatever, and then mm-hmm. he's still going to not stand up to Russia when if push comes to shove, of course. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, you pay protection, and your storefront maybe still gets damaged by some rogue guy who's a made man, and so you can't actually, you know, get revenge, and so it's, you know, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's a bizarre, yeah, bizarre world, but yeah. Probably smart of them to at least be thinking ahead, I guess, especially since, you know, Russia's on their doorstep or whatever, so. Yeah, well, you know, Japan's remilitarizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure it's a, I'm not sure it's a bad thing if Europe remilitarizes, although you know, in the 20th century, hopefully they figure out that they don't need to be fighting each other, but they mm-hmm. need, and they don't need to be, you know, necessarily colonizing the rest of the world, but they do need to be, like, you know, preparing for threats that America is not going to deal with. And this is another thing, like, with this thing where, um, you know, a whole bunch of liberals and a lot of conservatives are like, you know, no, we can't, or, well, anyways, a lot of liberals in some, in some respects are saying, like, uh, Oh, we can't uh, we can't impeach Trump because then we will get Pence, and Pence is worse. It's like uh, Pence probably doesn't have any compunctions about bombing Russia if we have to. <laughs> <You know? laughs> that's and that's that's a big deal, you know, in a lot of the world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not saying that he should, but I'm just saying like the the fact that he would be willing to means a lot to a lot of people. Yeah, well, they don't have compromise on him that we know about, so <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Well, we'll see. But um, yes, yeah, so that's going on. Um, trying to think. I mean, what's going on with the? Uh, I, I hope to God that uh, Mueller didn't actually tell Giuliani and them that like uh, they don't feel that they have the authority to uh, 
to, you know, bring charges against Donald Trump or whatever. I seriously doubt that's true. I, I think every leak you've heard from this has been from the Trump and Trump affiliated side. As far as I've heard, as far as I understand, Trump or Mueller doesn't leak. Like, this is not his style. It's go to work, button down, don't talk to anyone, do your do your job. Um, in the questions that they came up with, surely you heard about the list of questions that they supposedly want him to answer under oath. Um, that came from the Trump team as well. And it was like a speculative list of what they thought they were going to ask. So even that wasn't really, the, you know, they haven't shared a list with them. They're just guessing at what the list would be based on, you know, what they're wanting to know about. So I don't know. I wouldn't put too much stock into that, honestly. They're probably just trial ballooning stuff to see how it plays. You know what I mean? Like to see if any of the Republicans will give them any pushback of any kind. And so far, I haven't seen much. So. <clears throat> yeah, it's a total mess. Uh, but, you know, I think, you know, the question needs to be asked, like, is the president above the law? Is that actually what the Republicans are arguing? Because it seems like that's what they're arguing right that's now. That's the road they're going down, yeah, I believe. And we know that they wouldn't do that if it was a Democratic president. They, you mm-hmm. know, they want to hold Clinton to uh, to some sort of standard, and they they wanted to get Obama for something, and they certainly wanted to preemptively get Hillary for something. But like with Donald Trump, it's like, oh, the president—he's the president. He can't commit a crime. Mm-hmm. He can't arrest the president. Uh, so, I yeah, I mean they. Constitution only provides for a political solution to this in the form of impeachment, so it's it's a rough yeah. situation. So I mean, but that you know provides for it being more of a I don't know legitimate seeming in people's eyes rather than the president being hauled away in handcuffs, even though you or I did certain it's things. Probably legitimate to me. Yeah, right no, now. I know. <laughs> I mean, like the thing is, like I mean. You know they can they can handle Donald Trump with kid gloves, but the or Trump supporters are going to cry foul no matter what they do. How well, that's right, that's what Roger Stone's is. argument is: is he's saying that if this impeachment starts, they'll have a civil war or something. People are even calling for like impeachment already and that sort of stuff. Do you think there's any any chance that he might be impeached? The people who are calling for impeachment are the people who didn't vote for him. They need to get over it. They lost. Their candidate had every advantage. She spent $2 billion. He spent $275 billion. Sorry, he whipped her ass. It's over. You lost. Try to impeach him. Just try it. You will have a spasm of violence in this country, an insurrection like you've never seen. You think? No question. You think if he got impeached, like the, the, the country Both would go Both sides down? are heavily armed, my friend. Yes, absolutely. The, this is not 1974. They, the, the people will not stand for impeachment. A politician who votes for it would be endangering their own life. There will be violence on both sides. I'll make this clear. I'm not advocating violence, but I'm predicting it. You're, you're predicting that if he got impeached, there'd be some sort of civil war type? Yes, I do. that's what I think will happen. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's treason. <laughs> yeah, well, which is really interesting because it's the support the troops crowd theoretically shooting troops, <laughs> which is kind of amazing. If you follow the Second Amendment logic to its ultimate conclusion, that's where you're at. 
Um, if you're saying that you need these weapons to fight a tyrannical government, well, what's that going to look like? It's going to look like you shooting police and fire and National Guard and Army and whoever else, you know, from the government. So, all right, well, you want to you want to criticize Colin Kaepernick for for you know for kneeling or whatever, but that, that this is what you're actually arguing for if you play it out. So let's you know let's think about what we're saying here. <laughs> well, I'm pretty sure that they think that North Korea will have occupied the United States by the time they actually have to resist the government. No, I see. <laughs> so, so sneaky. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen the new Red Dawn yet, but I, I'm pretty sure that's the Republican playbook. So. <laughs> exactly. I saw the, 80, the 80s one. So. Oh, of course. Yeah, who didn't? Wasn't that uh, Emilio Estevez in that one? Or is that, was yeah, that Charlie Sheen? Yeah, to look it up. Red Dawn. Oh, yeah. Well, let's see. I'm trying to think what else is going on. Um, hmm. Um, let's see. This past week, uh, I read the uh, original uh, Michael Crichton's Jurassic Park over here. What you, What do you think of that? It was not a great book, but it was wildly entertaining, and I finished it within a week, so it's gripping, but, you know, his characters are ridiculous. His characters, like, you know, he, you know, it's always very one-sided. Like, in every exchange, there's one person who knows what they're doing and one person who doesn't know what they're doing. And, like, the, the one person who knows what they're doing is always right. The other person is always wrong and sniveling and cowardly <laughs> and, you know, eventually gets eaten by a raptor or something, <laughs> deservedly. <laughs> but the raptors are bad, even though they're because they're killing people. But they're killing all the people Michael Creighton once did. <laughs> and the people who respect them don't die. Do you respect so, the raptors, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> the people so, who respect the raptors and have a genuine interest in their, you know, uh, their intelligence, like, those people never die. But the other people are like, oh, God, I've got a child. Don't rip my torso. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever see the, 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 the philosoraptor meme? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can't remember any of the things the Velociraptors said. This is Velociraptor, not Velociraptor, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, those were a pretty funny meme. Yeah, I remember that one. Um, I've also re- recently rewatched all of the uh, the Jurassic Park movies, and actually, like one thing that's funny is like when I watch you know when I watch a movie, I like to go to YouTube and like watch all the reviews of the movie later to just figure out what people are thinking or. But not the reaction. What the reaction videos. of that movie was, <laughs> and um, no, I don't watch reaction videos. <laughs> We've covered before. Uh, exhibitionist uh, drama queen. Yeah, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Is pablum is that a word? Yeah, pablum. Mm-hmm. What does it mean? Pablum is like baby food. Like it's soft, yeah. palpable, doesn't have any texture, it's yeah. just very digestible. Yeah, then I think that's the word I was intending to use. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> But um yeah. But but basically like everybody loves the first two Jurassic Parks, but they shit all over the third Jurassic Park. And when I rewatched them I was actually like, you know what? Actually the third movie in some ways, was almost better than the second. Really? Even the part where the dinosaur talks to him on the plane in the dream? 
He had PTSD <laughs> in the situation. It was the, the Velociraptor was his, uh, that was his comfort dog or whatever. Hello, what, what, what is the thing the military families have now? Uh, emotional kind of support animal. animal. Yeah, the Velociraptor, he, he, that was his <laughs> PTSD trigger slash emotional support animal on the plane. Please understand his unique situation. Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm gonna need uh, some, it, was, it was a moment. <laughs> I'm going to need to see some paperwork to allow this velociraptor on the plane as your emotional support yeah. animal. <laughs> yeah. But, I mean, at the same time, like, the thing was, I, you know, like, people bitch and moan about William H. Macy and Taya Leone as this couple that, like, you know, had had lied and like, oh, these guys should be the bad guys. Why are they? Why do they get to survive? They should be killed in Michael Crichton's logic. Mm-hmm. But it's like, okay, I'm, I can understand their situation. They're a divorced couple. Um, you know, uh, the the new father, uh, the, the stepfather of the kid, takes him like, you know, parasailing near the island, and they get stranded there, and the stepfather dies, and that brings his real parents back together. And, Hmm. Which actually, like, people are like, I didn't get it. What was this side plot about? Why did they need to have this plot? Those people should have been eaten. They lied about it. They didn't have enough money to pay Dr. Grant to come back to the island, but they lied and they said he did. Uh, okay, but they were trying to save their son. Hmm. And number two, actually, all the way from the book, the theme of children dealing with divorce has been a constant, right? Um, in the first one, the yeah. two kids who come to the island are there because they're visiting their grandfather because their parents are going through a messy divorce at the mm-hmm. time. And in the second movie, uh, what is it? The the girl who is Jeff Goldblum's daughter, um, which was an interesting choice. Uh, I don't know. There was, uh, well, I don't know. Anyways, obviously he was not with her mother anymore. Um, and he was dealing with a girlfriend uh, who was making constant bad choices that were getting people killed. <laughs> if only, if only uh, they'd listened to Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, but actually in the, uh, I, I don't know, you know, in the book, everybody talks about the chaos theory and stuff, but it's like, I don't think that chaos theory actually explains what was going to happen. Hmm. It's like, you know, it was just kind of this like psychobabble stuff that he talked about all the time. And it's like, I mean, it's so vague that it could, it could apply to anything basically. Mm-hmm. You know, everybody thinks it's just kind of pseudo intellectual stuff. I'm sure chaos theory is a real thing and, you know, maybe somebody can explain it. But Right. Well, I mean, there's you know, a, there's a trope in storytelling, especially like science fiction where you take a obscure, semi obscure or obscure, uh, scientific theory and basically use it to be the explainer for your plot and your motivations of the people in the plot. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a handy shorthand. Like, uh, yeah. I was thinking of in the... Uh, you remember that Coen Brothers movie, The Man Who Wasn't There? Black and uh, White, Billy Bob yeah, Thornton. Yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah. yeah, I think I saw that. Well, there's a part yeah, where his right. lawyer in that movie... Spoiler alert. Yeah, spoiler alert, yeah. Uh, he... I forget what the name of this theory is, but it's like when you look at something, it changes it. Like you can't observe something oh, without Heisenberg. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly Heisenberg. And, and actually, I think that 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 theory is widely misunderstood. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I've heard of the actual explanation, you're looking at it. 
Um, it's actually much more benign. A lot of people think the fact that like we're watching something, the fact that our eyes are on it or whatever mm-hmm. physically makes it change. And I don't think that that's the case. I think that the point is that like, God, I don't know. It's, it's extremely complicated, but I've read stories. I've read articles where people say that that's actually not how it's, uh, sure. People, most people misunderstand it anyways. I think I, no, I, I'm sure they do. I'm sure they do. But it was you. I'm just saying it was used in that, uh, in that story to explain the rest of the story as like you know a crude framework for you understanding the philosophy behind the motivations of the characters it's a it's like a hacky thing to do because it's like you know oh, let's take this theory and oh now it explains everything <laughs> you know? yeah well i you know i have to give some respect to michael Crichton because apparently some of his theories about dinosaurs in the first book were controversial at the time and turned out to be true so he came down on the right side of those like what but i just felt like Oh, that like, uh, I got, I forget what, what the things were that, um, I don't know that the dinosaurs evolved into birds. Possibly. I think that was one of them that you talked about. And that wasn't and like accepted theory before. No, apparently in the late eighties, early nineties, that was pretty controversial and not widely accepted, but he, mm. you know, he had his main character mouthing that and then it turned out to be true. So, to some degree, I mean, he did his homework in a lot of these areas and stuff, and he, you know, he included some of the, you know, modern up-to-date science in his characters who were, you know, talking about this knowledgeably, and he turned out to be right on some of this stuff. So, I mean, he's a he's a smart guy, and he did his homework in some areas, but he, he can't write characters for shit, hardly. And, <laughs> and the chaos theory thing just felt really, you know... Just uh, just jammed in there in an unnatural way, I would say. Hmm. And so, like, actually, when uh, when Doctor Doctor Grant or Doctor Neil or whatever his name is, wait, who's the actor? Is Sam, Sam Neil? Or or Sam Neil? Is that who you're talking about? Yeah, Doctor Grant, I guess, mm-hmm. is the character. Mm-hmm. When he finds the kid and stuff on the island in Jurassic Park three, uh, spoiler alert: the kid's not dead. Um, <laughs> Go figure. <laughs> See uh, every Hollywood movie ever. Uh, uh, when he finds it, he's like, "I read your book," and he's like, "Oh, what do you think?" He's like, "I liked it." He's like, "I read, I read, uh, I read uh, what's his name, uh, Jeff Goldblum's book too." And he's like, "What do you think of that?" And he's like, "I don't know." He was just talking about the chaos theory a lot, and he seemed really full of himself. And I'm like, "Yes, yes." <laughs> So, you know, he was good in the first movie. I mean, in the second movie, he, you know, kind of functions as the uh, Cassandra character, whatever, wanting everybody. I guess he kind of did in the first one, too, although in the second movie, he doesn't talk about chaos theory anymore. So, (laughs) Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Anyways, it was enjoyable. And I I feel like if people honestly go back and rewatch them close together, the first one is an amazing movie with some small problems. The second one is a pretty good movie. It's thoroughly enjoyable with some, also some problems. This is the uh, Vince Vaughn. Yeah. Vince Vaughn. That's uh, That's a name we haven't heard in a while. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. There was like, I don't know. I don't know what kind of character he's supposed to be. Like he's, he's, he's gained some weight and he's come out as a conservative in the past few years, I think. I I think he's more in the libertarian camp, isn't he? Yeah. I don't distinguish hardly. Um, there, uh, that's another story for another day. But, but um, 
like uh, there's one scene where like this British guy who's supposed to be he's like financing the whole like military exit ex- the hunt the the you know neo Africa safari hunting expedition with the postal freight whatever guy from mm-hmm. Romeo and Juliet. I forget his full name, but like that guy, he can act. Yeah, yeah. He he took Ben Kingsley to acting class. <laughs> <laughs> Is that Christopher? Christopher from The Simpsons. Yeah, he's talking Sopranos. about Alec Baldwin or Billy Baldwin or something. Yeah, Billy Baldwin. <laughs> one of the lesser Baldwins. Oh yeah, absolutely. Whichever one they could wrangle for the slasher movie that he wrote. Yeah. Boy, the Sopranos. Oh boy, they had some they had some great lines in there. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so his characters, his character did a really good job in there too, I think. But um, but like, there's this British guy who basically financed the whole thing or something, and he's like telling him, "Okay, guys, I think we better uh, start moving ahead now." And all the like mercenaries he's hired and he's paying their paychecks are like just sitting around like fuck this guy. <laughs> and then like Vince Vaughn's like, Come on guys, let's get the hell out of here and they all get up and follow him and I'm like, Wait Vince Vaughn? Vince Vaughn is the manly man that the, the tough the tough guys are responding to here? Yeah. How? <laughs> Why? <laughs> what has he done? Aside from sabotaging your camp and getting people like injured, letting all the dinosaurs go inside the camp at night when you were there. <laughs> like he's the one who did that and you guys like, Yeah, this guy's a badass. <laughs> but like he has such a square jaw. He used to. He used to. It's, it's gotten a little it's gotten a little curvature to it in the last few years. Yeah. Of course, I don't know, man. I got. I need to do some more sit-ups and push-ups with my damn self. I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, uh, enjoyable movies, enjoyable looks. Uh, very much looking forward to the whatever it is the uh, the uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom or whatever. Yeah, have you seen the other before. most recent one before that? Yeah, I saw it too, and it looks like they're going to continue down this line of like. Uh, you know, raptors that are helping uh, Chris Pratt for some reason and uh, genetically modified dinosaurs that never actually existed, which is <laughs> not going to age well, I'm going to say. <laughs> you know? There were probably, I don't know, there were thousands and thousands of species of dinosaurs probably, like, surely. Just keep just keep digging back into the fossil record. Stop trying to like. Okay, we combined it with a frog and a uh, toad and a uh, velociraptor and a tyrannosaurus and a uh, uh, a gecko, so it can change colors or something. Um, yeah, it's like uh, it's a huge hybrid animal. It's the most badass thing. It's like you've got a five year old to design a monster. It's like he can change color and he can climb and he can scratch and he can kill the tyrannosaurus. He's very powerful. (laughs) Yeah, I can't remember why I didn't like that one. I I can't remember if I thought that it was too violent or if the like dinosaurs moved in a way that didn't seem realistic. I don't know. I'll have to watch it again. I remember it was too long. That's all I remember from it. I think every movie is too long lately. That's what she said. That's true. This is what she said. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's perfect. 
set up. Yep. I set them up, you know. <laughs> I remember it was too long. That's what I remember. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I mean, that's the, like I, I've complained about, uh, you know, the James Bond movies. I've complained about the Batman movies. I've, I would complain about all the Marvel movies, I'm sure, if I ever bothered to watch any of them. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the new thing. It's like everything's got to be too long. Mm-hmm. Because I think it adds some gravitas. It doesn't, and it's yeah. going to make them age poorly. Yeah. Have you seen uh, Black Panther yet? No, I do want to see that because it like. I think it just came out really on DVD. You know, look for it. Okay. Here soon. I've got to get back into. I was those. thinking, Bob. I was thinking I could go back and dig into my. Mm-hmm. Collection here. I can get into the uh, the wire again. Maybe we could go through those, do some discussion episodes of the wire. Okay. I know. I know we have this problem of starting media discussion things. <laughs> we Sometimes still have a Bill O'Reilly, those who trespass, uh, podcast in this somewhere. Yeah, yeah. We're still working on uh, yeah the uh, the Mike Wolf book, but I think I think we can do a hundred and so episodes of. Uh, a television show, hourly television. I think The Wire is less than 100. <laughs> okay, 60-some or whatever it is. I think I it's know. less than that. Five, five seasons of... Not sure it even cracked 50 on Miller. Hmm. Well, we don't got to do an episode by episode. 60 thing, episodes watch... for The Wire. 60 okay. episodes. I think we could watch like chunks of that and... Uh deal with that because I think it would keep you on a motherfucking watching schedule because I'm worried you're going to flake out on the wire again which is a huge mistake it's a, it's, it's it's a, a definite mistake. possibility um <laughs> But uh, no, yeah, I'm, let's well, see, I, I've gotten through the second episode, and I saw where they go to the towers at night, and there's that kid laying on the uh, hood of the car, and the what's the, oh, Pol- yeah, what's the Polish guy's name? Uh, Agent Prezbaluski. Prezbaluski yells at him and punches him. punches him with the butt of his service weapon and the kid loses an eye and they call the okay. yeah I mean you don't find that topical as far as like uh, police violence and stuff or whatever sure it's topical yeah makes sense not compelling no it's compelling um, yeah. seemed, seemed less realistic today only because if that happened today there would be a camera somewhere either in the car or on like a body camera or something so there'd yeah. probably be a piece of video to, to argue about from there so well it's I mean but the thing is this is a this is a this is a, almost a 20 a 20 year old series basically based on stuff that happened in the 80s and 90s it's post 9-11 so. The story is, but it's not based. It's based on his experiences, from what I understand, in the eighties and nineties. Sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It started in two thousand two and went through two thousand eight. So it's firmly in the W era. But yeah. I mean, he he said it. He said it in that time. He said it in the basically in the current time. But from what I understand, the stuff. I mean, he is referencing some real people and real events and stuff. Yeah. No. It, I mean, his book Homicide: uh, You're on the Killing Streets came out in ninety one. So, yeah, late late eighties, early nineties was when he was writing that. Yeah. Well, um, the the thing is, though, Bob, you got to keep watching because, like, I mean, what do you think of Presbyluski right now? 
uh, he's a bad person and he uses his gun too much because he already shot a hole in the wall of the basement where they're working there. All right. Well, Bob, I'm just going to say character arc. Okay. All right. Just just keep watching because they're not done with Presbalooski or <laughs> a lot of people. I figured. You know, we're going to have to fill these a episodes lot of somehow. Yeah. Show don't. They, they, some people end up where they start. Some people get what's coming to them. Some people go a completely different direction. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, like, I mean, you know, this is, you know, you can't watch two episodes and think, oh, man, uh, I don't know about this. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, trust me, like, it goes places. Okay. Yeah. All right. Like, yeah, Presbalewski, Pres- like, he... The, the question you've got to be asking yourself with him is what happens when you take away his gun and you take him off the police force and mm-hmm. then he does something else in the community? What mm-hmm. could he do? Mm-hmm. And, you know, is, can he be redeemed as a character? I don't know. Seems pretty incompetent and kind of racist at this point, so we'll see. I'm not, I, I, you know, see, this is the thing. I, I can't talk about what's coming <laughs> because I can't give you spoilers, but, uh, you know, I don't know. It's it's uh, the show will really, really, really make you think. <laughs> Let's just say that. Okay. I see. So yeah. So maybe over the next couple of days, I'll start slowly rewatching those. And I don't know. What if we like by the time we next record? What if we got up to like episode five or something? Maybe. I could I could try to get there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That I mean that would give us something to talk about. I mean. I mean, besides also, this, the rest of this Michael Wolf book. <laughs> oh, God. Michael Wolf. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. We're a quarter of the way through. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Uh, okay. Yeah, so speaking of Michael Wolf, did you want to get to that? Yeah, we may as that, well. Uh, may as well. <laughs> that, uh, that book I haven't read, uh, Moby Dick. Uh, the first chapter is called Loomings, right? <laughs> I think so, yeah. I don't know why I know that. I think it was a Foxtrot comic in the hmm. early 90s or something. Interesting. Well, we but, finished yeah, with the, the uh, Jarvanka chapter last, I remember, when we talked about it last. So I believe the okay. chapter we're on now is At Home, Chapter 6. At Home. Okay, yes. All right, I got my got my thing out here. All right, let me see one. I'm trying to. This is okay. So we're starting today on page eighty-three, and it looks like we will be going up to page ninety-four. Okay, this is maybe not too bad. Mm. How many notes okay. do you have, and what did you underline? <laughs> <laughs> well, let me tell you. <laughs> let me read them to you. <laughs> All right, at home. I'm trying to remember what this topic was about. Is this about the family or something, or what? Uh, let's look here. I believe this is just settling into the White House, kind of. Okay. Yeah, because we're in January now, so it's after the inauguration, and we're starting the first month of the Trump presidency, basically. Okay. At this point, Michael Cohen has only just opened his... Uh, his uh, political advising uh, company so that he can funnel money from people who might want to uh, curry favor with uh, Donald Trump. Oh, did I, I might have mentioned some jokes last night. I had a good joke, I think. Um, 
I have I have a series of jokes about corruption because it's an easy t- joke to make in Korea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of them is like, uh, okay, why did the uh, okay why did the bu- why did the businessman take the uh, politician to an Indian restaurant? Mm-hmm. Why? Okay, because he wanted he, because he wanted to curry flavor with him. <laughs> Good one, good one. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And um, okay. What was what was the other one? Okay. The other the other two jokes require some knowledge of Korean, which I will try to provide. Do you think I should provide it before the fact or after the fact? <laughs> which will which will be more humorous? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's it's they're both great ways to spoil a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I guess after do after. <laughs> I think I, I maybe I ought to do it before, but okay, okay, okay do it before. So, all right. So um, the word uh, "bupe" in Korean, spelled one way, means corruption, literally. Okay. okay? Mm-hmm. Um, okay. So, and the other thing you might, well, God, if I give the other part, it's going to give it away. Okay. So, um, what kind of restaurant did the businessman take the politician to? And the answer is, he took him to a bupe. Because Koreans can't say buffet, or they refuse to say buffet. They say either buipe or bupe <laughs> instead of buffet. So, but the funny thing is, bupe, the way they spell it for buffet, is spelled a little bit differently than the way they spell bupe for corruption, but the pronunciation is essentially the same. Okay. And so, like, he took him to a corruption, or he took him to a buffet restaurant. Either way, that's the, that's the joke. I'm, again, it's hilarious. Like uh, Koreans crack up when I tell this joke, but like you have to have some working knowledge of Korean pronunciation as well as uh, yeah. the Korean word for corruption. But uh, you know, obviously, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, okay, what was the other one? Um, okay, what uh, the other one? The one that I had last week. I was trying to explain the expression "hammer out the details." Right? Mm-hmm. Why did Why did the two uh, businessmen? Choose a seafood restaurant for their second meeting together. I don't know why. Okay, and the answer is because they want to do hemul out the details. Uh, in Korean, hemul means seafood. Mm. So hemul out the. I see where you're going. Because sometimes, like my my student was mispronouncing hammer out the details when I was trying to teach him that expression. He was saying hemul out the details, and I was like, no, 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 not hemul like seafood, but hammer. Hammer like a tool. <laughs> and so I was like, I was like, ooh, I got a good joke right there. And yeah, they handled out the details at the seafood restaurant. <laughs> so, so I've, yeah, I've got a whole series. I've got a whole, I've got a whole bit some, about some uh, language humor in Korea. Yeah, corruption. Yeah, play on words. <laughs> yep. So, anyways, that's something. I like it. Uh, yeah. I'm thinking about starting a business. I think I might have mentioned last night about like some sort of like a t-shirt company where I make dumb jokes with Korean and English together. Yeah, we were talking about that. We've I've actually started. I'll send you the links to it. But uh, we've started. Ash and I are starting a t-shirt thing like that. Um, we're still in the free trial era area, so we need to like step it up and start producing these things. But what kind of t-shirts are you going to make? They're like funny ones. Yeah, basically. I think, I think funny is like the way to go. Cause like Definitely. if you see a funny t-shirt, you're going to want to buy it. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. But I think um, it's uh, so I think it's Cafe Press was one. And then let me look here. It was like Shopify was the store. 
and then it was like it was like two things you connect together. One one is the place you sell it, and then the other place is the place that makes the shirt. Yeah, I have an apple. I have a pen. <laughs> but we get a connect, right? Right. Exactly. So you got it. Yeah. Well, do you, can you tell us like one of the punchlines that would be on a shirt, for example, just to like kind of wet everybody's whistle for these shirts? Like, well, the the, the idea for the shirt that we had is uh, rose wine has been kind of like the new thing that people are into now. Um, no. Around here, like that's the new, like you're getting ready for summer and spring now, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, so we're gonna do Cray for Rose. Okay, interesting. For the religious folks, you could also say maybe Pray for Rose. Pray for Rose. Uh, our other idea was Frisky for Whiskey, but apparently there is already a whiskey called Frisky Whiskey, so I don't think that's gonna work. I googled Cray for Rose, so no one steal it out there, listeners. This is my <laughs> this is my idea. You better trademark that real quick. <laughs> that's I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to get it out there. I'm trying to get it out there. But um, yeah, I might steal it and start selling it in Korea. Oh, you sh- don't you don't you dare. <laughs> Although I don't think anybody knows what rosé is. No, probably not. Probably not. You could probably think of one for soju, I bet. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't know. You don't know how to... Here we go. Here we go. The two companies are Printful, P-R-I-N-T-F-U-L, and Shopify, S-H-O-P-I-F-Y. Shopify is the store Printful makes the t-shirts. So yeah, this could be how we make our first million. This is how you. This is how we're gonna do it, man. Just need the right marketing. That's all we need. Any yeah, ideas? The burgeoning media empire doesn't take off first. <laughs> we gotta start making Boy, some merch. We gotta start making some merch. Yeah. Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I think like yeah, the future is all rosy. I, you know, we've we've got uh, we've got so many. Uh, uh, what do we say? Sticks in the fire. How does that go? Oh, irons in the fire. We got so many irons in the fire. We don't know which one's going to catch on fire first. We don't know. We're just throwing them out there, throwing throwing whatever we yeah. can against the wall and see what sticks, right? Yeah, might be a good time to remind our viewers about the Patreon. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. I don't think anyone signed up yet. I mean, I don't really offer anything other than just give me money. But honestly, I've probably set up like a PayPal or. A, some other way to just if you want to send money just send money because like i think patreon works better if you give people rewards or like exclusive content and i'm not i'm not doing that yet but i don't know what kind of exclusive content i'd give them i also like to keep it free you know i keep it everyone here everything you know i don't like to have you know i understand the freemium uh model where you give some things for free you give other things uh for yeah not free i don't know i kind of like it keep it you know keep it free for the people you know to hear everything yeah you don't want to split the audience Uh, yeah absolutely so yeah but um yeah i don't know hopefully some of our listeners will uh avail themselves of that Although I have to say, Big Daddy Cha Cha is not uh, part of that. I, I, I make nothing off this, so I can no. totally endorse it. I haven't paid you a cent for this. This is all free labor. <laughs> you know what? God damn it! <laughs> <laughs> we might have to renegotiate. That. <laughs> you don't think I can find another drunk person in South Korea to talk to? 
not the one who has uh, copious notes on Michael Wolf. That's probably uh, not, no. Probably only one of those. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although, did you see that, uh, who's the Iranian supreme leader now, whoever that guy is? Apparently, he was seen reading uh, Fire and Fury, the uh, Farsi edition. Okay, yeah, that's... It's interesting that it was printed and that and that it was translated, but mm-hmm. I don't know on which end they did that. Yeah, it's probably bootleg, but still, still getting the inside scoop on the Trump White House from Michael Wolf. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess I guess this book is not going to uh, analyze itself. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It's not very self-reflective in that way. Okay. At Home, Chapter 6, page 83. Mm -hmm. Within the first weeks of his presidency, a theory emerged among Trump's friends that he was not acting presidential or really in any way taking into account his new status or restraining his behavior. From early morning tweets to his refusal to follow scripted remarks to his self-pitying calls to friends, details of which were already making it into the press because he hadn't taken the leap that others before him had taken. Uh, Yeah. So I'd say that's uh, true. The new life. Yeah, but this new life would not have been that different from Trump's former life in Trump Tower. Uh, the big deal of being president was not so apparent to him, unlike apparently most other people who become president. <laughs> um, the 72-year-old Trump was a creature of habit at a level few people without despotic control of their environment could ever imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving to the next page. Um, his corner office was a time capsule from the 1980s. The same gold line mirrors, the same Time magazine covers fading on the wall. Trump found the White House an old building with only sporadic upkeep and piecemeal renovations, as well as a famous roach and rodent problem. Could be vexing and even a little scary. <laughs> Friends who admired his skills as a hotelier wondered why he didn't just he just didn't remake the place but he seemed cowed by the weight of the watchful eyes on him hmm. um, this is apparently the first time since the Kennedy White House that a presidential couple had maintained separate rooms um, although Milani was spending scant time so far in the White House in the first days he ordered two television screens in addition to the one already there and a lock on the door, uh, precipitating a brief standoff with the Secret Service, who insisted they have access to the room. He reprimanded the housekeeping staff for picking up his shirt from the floor. If my shirt is on the floor, it's because I want it on the floor. Then he imposed a new set of rules, a set of new rules. Nobody touch anything, especially not his toothbrush. He had a long-time fear of being poisoned, one reason why he liked to eat at McDonald's. Nobody knew he was coming, and the food was safely pre-made. Yeah, I never understood that. It's so gross. But I guess if you like one thing and you get it a certain way, you can depend on it for, I don't know, it's so disgusting. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of McDonald's, actually, I just read a, I think it was an Atlantic piece. I'm not sure where it was from exactly, but they went through what was in a Chicken McNugget. And actually, I stopped eating Chicken McNuggets when I was like eight or nine years old, I think. Maybe 10 or 11, maybe. Mm-hmm. 
Because I, I, I was eating one, I bit down in something that crunched, mm-hmm. and I just about fucking vomited in the restaurant. Mm-hmm. And ever since that day, I've never touched another single chicken nugget. I used to like them, but um, but this article details like some micro microbiologists or something or micro something people like some sort of scientists they analyze the contents of a randomly selected chicken nuggets from some unnamed fast food chain, which is probably McDonald's, and they contain like gastrointestinal tract parts from the chicken, uh, bone parts. Uh, uh, what, what's the thing in our nose? Cartilage. Mm-hmm. Uh, all this crap that nobody in their right mind wants to eat. Right. And well, they turn it into that together. pink slime before they make it into the nugget shape or whatever. I don't know. Is the pink slime that that's for the hamburgers though? Isn't it? I don't know that that's oh, for maybe. The, uh, I don't nuggets, know. But. All I know is that um, <clears throat> Taco Taco Bell had to repackage their. Uh, uh, ingredients because apparently most of the meat in the tacos wasn't actually meat. It was like just filler. <laughs> hmm. I, I gotta say, I think the Taco Bell chicken is not terrible usually mm. by comparison. But but yeah, I haven't eaten chicken nugget nuggets for a long time, and I finally read an article a few weeks ago that told me, Cha, you were you were correct. There was something that was not kosher in that chicken nugget. <laughs> Good move. Yeah. Yeah. I don't believe anyone who's like, oh, it's fine. You know what I mean? Because we'll, we'll always find out in a few years it wasn't fine or whatever. Like I was uh, <laughs> I was at the uh, – I was working on the uh, computer at my department complex's like uh, clubhouse thing that's like a common area. And some guy came along and he was like in a bug zapping outfit and like he had this like can of like insecticide and he started spraying it like right next to me. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa, what are you doing? Like, I'm sitting here. Like, and he was like, Oh, it's odorless and tasteless and it's totally safe for humans. And I'm like, I'm sure that's what they tell you. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm sure, I'm sure it's not. <laughs> huh. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, well, we'll find out in 50 to 60 years. Yeah, right. Exactly. Weird cancer. Yeah. It was our cell phones all along. But, yeah. So. Well, anyways, yeah, so don't eat chicken McNuggets, I no, guess. No, don't do it. Or, yeah. Or, yeah, think about it, yeah. Yeah. You don't want to eat bones or cartilage or intestinal tract from a chicken. No. Not at all. Uh, anything like that. They analyzed the meat, like, on a molecular, submolecular level or something. It was crazy. Hmm. The quote-unquote meat. It was actually very not, little meat, I think. Not meat, no. Anyways, anyways, we gotta we gotta keep reading. <laughs> yes, we do. Um, uh, so Trump is saying, you know, this is why he doesn't want anybody in his room. He doesn't want he wants lots on the doors. He wants to eat McDonald's. And they also said, also he would let housekeeping know <clears throat> when he wanted his sheets done, and he would strip his own bed. Um, if he was not having his six thirty dinner with Steve Bannon, then more to his liking, he was in bed by the, that time with a cheeseburger, watching his three screens and making phone calls. Mm. The phone was his true contact point with the world, to a small group of friends. Among them, most frequently Tom Barack, who's charted his rising and falling levels of agitation through the evening, and then compared notes with one another. Okay. <clears throat> So I guess his his confidants were not so uh, 
discreet for the boss, as he might hope. Although I don't think, I don't know. I think Trump likes a certain kind of discretion when it comes to urine and hotel rooms and prostitutes. <laughs> but beyond that, I don't think discretion is really the name of the game for him. No. Well, wasn't there a thing also with Barack Obama and his BlackBerry? He wouldn't give it up or something, or he didn't want to. <laughs> Yeah, maybe, maybe not. I don't remember how but, that turned um, out. Yeah. Well, I mean, like, we're, we're, nothing ever really came of it. Well, I mean, obviously he wasn't doing anything that was that questionable, but, yeah. I, I imagine eventually the iPhone came out. Yeah, that's true. I don't think they even make Blackberries anymore. <laughs> yeah, it's a sad story. All those Washington types are like, I still use my Blackberry. I love that Blackberry. Mm-hmm. And the rest of America is like, uh, I guess we missed that fad. Yeah. I never had a Blackberry. Yeah. Um, I had a Palm Pilot for a time. I had a PDA. I think that's what that was, yeah. I forget. It yeah, was actually public a Palm Pilot. Of affection. Public display of affection. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've had one of those before, too. <laughs> <laughs> I try to avoid that. <laughs> Unseemly. No, I really did have a PDA back in the like in freshman year of college or something. and hmm. I don't know whatever happened to the thing. Yeah. I couldn't figure out what to do with it. You know, My yeah. life was not that... Not yet that chaotic that I needed an organizer, I don't think, but yeah, I, think my, comes, though. I think my parents got one for me before I went to college, too, and I don't think I ended up using it at all, but I think I put my birthday in the calendar, and that was pretty much all I did. Say, that's, a, that's a good start. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you won't forget that. No, year. absolutely not. Now, now that I put it in here. Problem solved. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what our parents thought we were going to be doing in college that we would need that, but I don't know. I don't know. Maybe yeah. there's a maybe there's a way to calculate blood alcohol content or something. <laughs> that would have been a nice feature. Right. But um, let's see. Okay, well let's continue. Let's continue. I I got to keep going here because uh, my bedtime rapidly approaches. Okay. So okay. Got to wake up at five twenty in the morning. Here. Oh geez. Uh, let's see. Um. Let's see. I'm talking about, uh, what was it, Neil Gorsuch or something? Mm-hmm. The Supreme Court nominee. Yep. They robbed Obama. It should be totally illegal. Like, it, it, As long as we're not respecting the law and the way things are supposed to work, uh, I hope the next Democratic president takes full advantage of the fact that we're just basically throwing all the rules out the window with this guy. It's only going to be for Trump and no one else. It's going to snap back to how it was for everyone else after this. I've I've had this hope, but I don't think it's going to last. No, I mean it. It does. I mean it does show how unconcerned they actually are with what they say they're concerned about. I mean, if you want to look at the Roy Moore situation, that was one gift from that is that we get to see you know how all these people who claim to be you know so offended by the personal behavior of you know public people is is are suddenly you know just throwing themselves, you know, every value they ever said they had out the window for a chance at power, you know, and we know that now. It doesn't mean that they'll ever extend that to anyone else, but we at least know that we have demonstrable proof that they don't actually care about these things. They just care about getting into office. So. But, yeah, I just, I wish the, I wish the Democrats would realize that if, as we've said, I, I think the theme of this, uh, this podcast, the, the the motto of the podcast should be hypocrisy doesn't matter anymore, <laughs> that, because that's just something that Democrats need to get through their heads. And I hope they they run buck wild next time with our president, because 
Yeah. You know, it's like a top spinning, right? Mm-hmm. When it starts spinning off balance, it's like it goes too far to one side and it has to go back too far to the other side. You know, if, if Democrats keep trying to hold the middle while we keep spinning to the right, moving the Overton window or whatever people talk about sometimes. Yep. So, but anyways, the next part's talking about Neil Gorsuch's uh, nomination. It says, pleased by how the nomination was received, especially by how little fault the media could find with it, Trump would shortly become a Gorsuch fan. But before settling on Gorsuch, he wondered why the job wasn't going to a friend and loyalist. In the Trump view, it was a rather a waste to give the job to someone he didn't even know. At various points in the process, he had run through almost all of his lawyer friends, all of them unlikely, if not peculiar, choices, and in almost every case, political non-starters. The one unlikely, peculiar, and non-starter choice that he kept returning to was Rudy Giuliani. (laughs) He's been all in the news lately, of course. Um, Trump owed Giuliani. Not that he was so terribly focused on his debts, but this was one that was certainly unpaid. Um, Let's see. Uh, Giuliani was there for him, and in combative, fiery, and relentless fashion. This was particularly true during the hard days following Billy Bush. Mm-hmm. Uh, the grab him by the pussy tape. Of course. Um, when virtually everybody, including the candidate himself, Bannon, Conway, and his children, believed the campaign would implode, Giuliani barely allowed himself a break from his nonstop, passionate, and unapologetic Trump defense. Giuliani wanted to be Secretary of State, and Trump had, in so many words, offered him the job. The resistance to Giuliani from the Trump circle derived from the same reason Trump was inclined to give him the job. Giuliani had Trump's ear and wouldn't let go. The staff whispered about his health and stability. Um, Even his full-on Pussygate defense now now started to seem like a liability. He was offered Attorney General, Department of Homeland Security, and Director of National Intelligence, but he turned them all down, continuing to hold out for state. Or, in what staffers took to be the ultimate presumption, or grand triangulation, the Supreme Court. Since Trump could not put someone openly pro-choice on the court without both sundering his base and risking defeat of his nominee, then of course he'd have to give Giuliani state. When this strategy failed, uh, Rex Tillerson got the Secretary of State job. Uh, That should have been the end of it, but Trump kept returning to the idea of putting Giuliani on the court. (laughs) On February 8th, during the confirmation process, Gorsuch took public exception to Trump's disparaging... uh, Sorry. Gorsuch took public exception to Trump's disparagement of the courts. Trump, in a moment of pique, decided to pull his nomination, and during conversations with his after-dinner callers, went back to discussing how he should have given the nod to Rudy. Uh, it's a good thing. I mean, I think it's a very good thing they didn't give Secretary of State to Rudy Giuliani because he didn't know that he was going to need Rudy later to be his lawyer so, <laughs> and go out there on TV for him. So that's kind of a, uh, what can we say, kind of a, when something works out perfectly, Mm-hmm. What's the word for that? There's a word. Serendipity? Serendipitous? Yeah. Okay, that's kind of serendipitous that he didn't give him the Secretary of State job. Right. I mean, well, Jack Tillerson didn't work out anyways, of course, no. but uh, but he still needed Giuliani to be his lawyer and his <laughs> TV guy. 
Yeah, whatever he's paying him, it's too much. <laughs> I don't think he's paying him for any, anything, is he? Working yeah. pro bono, right? I, think, I heard some, there was some expression I heard one time that was like, um, if you put them all in a in a sack and started hitting with a baseball bat, you'd always hit the right one. <laughs> I, I like that expression. <laughs> That's pretty good. It doesn't even matter who you're hitting as long as you're hitting one of the yeah, right. Deserve. Uh, let's see. Um, let's keep going here. Hosting business advisory councils was a Kushner strategy. It was an enlightened business approach, distracting Trump from what Kushner viewed as the unenlightened right-wing agenda. To an increasingly scornful Bannon, its real purpose was to allow Kushner himself to consort with CEOs. Although few major company CEOs had publicly supported him, with many, if not all, big companies planning for a Hillary Clinton victory and already hiring Clinton-connected public policy teams, and with a pervasive media belief that a Trump victory would assure a market tailspin, there was suddenly an overnight warming. An anti-regulatory White House and the promise of tax reform outweighed the prospect of disruptive tweeting and other forms of Trump chaos. So this is kind of the, the, the business warming up to him, big business warming up to Trump. And, of course, you know, it is worth mentioning that, yeah, I mean, the Hillary Clinton corruption angle there was already getting started. Of course, I guess, you know, no matter who you are, you go in there, they're going to try to court you. But mm-hmm. they they thought that was a done deal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't. Uh, okay, I think we I think we have... In the next page, on page 88, I think we have another typo. Michael Wolf, <laughs> if you're listening to this and pondering a lawsuit, consider us our, your helpers. <laughs> right. because, we're just, we're just we're trying to help you out help here. <laughs> yeah, help us help you. Um, help me help you, okay. Um, on page 88, CEOs were reporting good vibes from Trump's effusive and artful flattery and the sudden relief of not having to deal with what some knew to be Relentless Clinton team handling. Uh, what can we do for you today, and can we use your plan? Sorry, what? Wh- sorry, what can you do for us today, and can we use your plan? Uh, handling obviously should probably be handling, right? Unless handling is a word that I'm unfamiliar with. How how is it spelled in the book there? H uh, o n d l i n g. Uh, they said relentless Clinton team handling. It's a verb. It's defined as to bargain. Oh. An example of uh, to handle is to offer $20 for a collectible priced at $30. Okay. It's a Jewish okay, Michael, phrase. Michael Wolf. Jewish phrase. Don't, don't sue us. That's don't right. Sue us. Don't do it. Let's get together. We can handle. <laughs> we can handle. We can handle out the details. <laughs> yeah, we'll go to the, we'll go to a Hamel Jib. We'll go to a seafood restaurant. Get some, get some hummus. That's, that's a callback. Yep. Callback joke. Yep. <laughs> so throwing it back. Okay. Well, okay. So, uh, mea culpa. It's not a typo. It's a, a word that it's I. It's an obscure know. Jewish phrase. Hmm. Okay, well, uh, <laughs> consider this Gentile edumacated. <laughs> uh, let's continue here. On the other hand, there was also a rising concern about the consumer side of many big brands. Um, 
The Trump brand was suddenly the world's biggest brand, the new Apple, except the opposite, since it was universally disdained, at least among many of the consumers who most top brands sought to court. <laughs> Um, let's see employees of uber ride-sharing company uh ceo the ceo of uber joined the business council of trump or whatever and his his employees protested the charge was that uber and uh, kalanick travis kalanick ceo yeah were collaborating with its whiff of Vichy, uh, Vichy, a much Vichy. different status than a, than yeah. a yeah, uh, a much different status than a business looking to sober forums with the president as a way of influencing the government, a way to influence the government. Indeed, the protesters who believed they were seeing the company's relationship with Trump in political terms were actually seeing this in conventional brand terms and zooming in on the disconnect. Uber's customer base is strongly young, urban, and progressive, and therefore out of sync with the Trump base. Uh, let's see. Uh, moving along, the next page here. Um, okay, I think when they when they had their meetings or something. Let's see. Though Trump appeared not to have particularly or at all prepared for any of the subjects being discussed, he asked, engaged, and interested questions, pursuing things he wanted to know more about, making the meeting quite an easy back and forth. Mm. Let's see, the meeting went on for two hours. In the White House view, this was Trump at his best. He was most at home around people he respected, and these were the most respected people in the country, according to Trump who seemed to respect him, too. This became a staff goal, to create situations in which he was comfortable, to construct to construct something of a bubble, to wall him off from a mean-spirited world. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> On page 90. This is kind of a short chapter. Um, this was actually the kind of image that Donald Trump had worked hard to project throughout his career. He is a 1950s businessman sort of ideal. He aspires to look like his father, or anyway, not to displease his father. Uh, except when he's in golf wear, it is hard to imagine him out of a suit and tie, because he almost never is. <laughs> Personal dignity, that is, apparent uprightness and respectability, is one of his fixations. He is uncomfortable when the men around him are not wearing suits and ties. Um, formality and convention. Before he became president, almost everybody without high celebrity or a billion dollars called him Mr. Trump are a central part of his identity. Casualness is the enemy of pretense. And his pretense was that the Trump brand stood for power, wealth, and arrival. On the February, on the February 5th, on the February 5th. Does that seem right? No. Um, Probably no yeah. the needed there. Uh-huh. The word the probably oh, yeah, doesn't no need the, to be there. And there should be a TH after the 5 for February 5th, right? Or on the 5th of February. Uh, it depends on if you're doing AP style or not. AP style would be Feb.5, but... Hmm. Anyway. I don't know. When you're writing a nonfiction book, what style do you follow? 
It depends. I don't know. It's 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 weird. They should just have said February fifth, comma. All right, Michael Wolf, we're redeeming ourselves here. This is page ninety, <laughs> last paragraph. Possible typo. Uh, yeah, whoop, definitely. Whoop. Yep. <laughs> Release the so on the February 5, <laughs> the New York Times published an Inside the White House story that had the president, two weeks into his term, stalking around in the late hours of the night in his bathrobe, unable to work the light switches. <laughs> Trump fell apart. <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. Um, let's see, the next page, Bannon, who styled himself as a kind of black hole of silence, had also become a sort of official black hole voice, everybody's deep throat. He was witty, intense, evocative, and bubbling over, his theoretical discretion ever giving way to a constant semi-public commentary on the pretentiousness, uh, the pretensions and fatuousness and hopeless lack of seriousness of most everyone else in the White House. By the second week of the Trump presidency, everyone, everybody in the White House seemed to be maintaining their own list of likely leakers and doing their best to leak before being leaked about. Mm. Uh, but another likely leak source about Trump's angst in the White House was Trump himself. In his calls throughout the day and at night from his bed, he frequently spoke to people who had no reason to keep his confidences. He was a river of grievances, including about what a dump the White House was on close inspection. inspection. Examples of which many recipients of his calls promptly spread throughout the ever- Attentive and merciless gossip world. Again, I think we we wonder about the author here. He's talking about people, Trump, the people that Trump confided in who had no reason to keep his confidence. I think right. the author might include himself amongst them, <laughs> amongst their number, as it were. Okay. On February 6th, Trump made one of his seething, self-pitying, and unsolicited phone calls without presumption of confidentiality to a passing New York media acquaintance. And I wondered, who was that? Maybe possibly the author? (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Could be. Yeah, because this is, I think this is a pretty, I think this is kind of how he rounds up the chapter in the last two pages. It's kind of a conversation that probably he had with the president. Yeah. Well, I want to know when he's going to release these tapes of all these conversations he had. Because he claimed, like, after people were like, oh, they didn't say that. He's like, well, I got tapes. It's like, oh, let's see them. I don't know. We haven't seen them yet. I think he knows that he has more credibility than the Trump people. And That's true. He feels he needs to really That's true. Probably. Tapes. Probably. If he says he has the tapes, I'm sure he has the tapes. Um, or I'm sure that these people really said this stuff. And they oh, yeah. Really no doubt. So, uh, I think we saw, like, on the – we I think we had the last Saturday Night Live of the uh, year or something. Mm-hmm. Again. And I, I'm, I'm super pissed. I was pissed last year when they went on break, too. I think it's incredibly irresponsible for, the, for for Saturday Night Live to pretend that they're the you know the voice of the people against this tyrannical government. I'm sorry, you don't get the summer off, right? <laughs> like that's, that's, if 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 you consider yourself this bastion of truth and truthiness and truth telling against the Trump White House, yeah, you, you don't get to you know 
I, I don't know. Run a skeleton crew, you know? <laughs> I mean, most of the major but, players that are portraying these people aren't even regular cast members anyway. You've got yeah, Ben Stiller playing Michael Cohen. You've got Robert De Niro playing Mueller. You've got Alec Baldwin playing Trump. I mean, all these people are not regular cast members. You could just have them do their own, you know, play playhouse theater yeah. or whatever. <laughs> I, I think you've got to keep it going. I, I don't get this thing where they need time off. Like, because let's not let's not pretend that they need the time to like write new scripts for next year because they're responding to week by week what's happening in the news. They don't need time to like create a backlog. If anything, you know, they're handicapping themselves covering this White House by taking time off because then they're going to have to do like a oh my 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 what a busy summer we've had. Remember yeah. when Trump did this crazy thing? Oh my God! Remember this other crazy well, thing? Oh God! How will we ever catch up? Kind of did that. I remember in the lead up to the election because they had like the Thursday night uh, thing where they would just have the um, the news desk or whatever the weekend update. But it would just be like a Thursday update. But it wouldn't be any, I don't think it would be any other sketches besides that. So, I mean, they're capable of doing separate breakout things. They just haven't. But they should. You're right. Um, I think they were hoping that Trump would be out last summer. Because I think I remember the last one they did before the summer break last time. It was kind of implying that there was something, you know, going to happen over the summer that he wouldn't be the president by the time they started the season back up. But obviously that didn't happen. So, um, yeah. Oh, do you remember that guy? Um, I can't remember his name right now. Um, he's a news guy. Um, he apparently he used to live in Trump tower or something. Hmm. Um, and he was part of the, the resistance, the quote unquote resistance, right? Mm-hmm. And he was doing some sort of kind of like a like a news and gut style, not not that big, but that kind of a you know thing that was financed by somebody or something. Where he was, what was it, the breakdown or the the mm-hmm. minute or something? I, I forget his name. You're talking about Dan uh, Rather? No, I'm talking about. Um, he was very he was he was remarkably anti Bush too, and I think he got he got fired from somewhere during the Bush years too mm-hmm. or something. Um, mm-hmm. uh, uh, he has like a German name. Hmm. Sebastian Gorka, Olberman, uh, Keith Olberman, yeah, that his name. Yeah, yeah, he was yeah. doing something with uh, GQ most recently. I don't know what happened to that. Yeah, 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 that's what it was. But do you remember, like, similarly to uh, Saturday Night Live, at one point he just said, "You know, ladies and gentlemen, I'm finished with this. Donald Trump is done after what's happened this week. He's he's over, mm-hmm. and so I don't feel that I need to continue to do this. And so, you know, good night and good luck." said but I was like I was I was briefly you know encouraged like oh well I mean are your corporate overlords cutting off the funding or is like Trump really finished and of course you know Teflon the dawn uh, was able to endure and so I don't know what whatever happened with that guy I don't know why he stopped doing whatever he was doing but like I don't know I was watching his stuff on YouTube weekly or whatever so I was enjoying it but like I don't know. You know, I think there's a lot of people who. All right. So, yeah. yeah, So in November of last year, he announced his retirement from political commentary after episode 147 of his Closer with Keith Olbermann show through GQ, citing his belief that, quote unquote, this presidency of Donald John Trump will end prematurely and end soon. And thus, I'm also confident that this is the correct moment to end this series of commentaries. November. Yeah. 
So I mean, he did yeah, it a been, year after the election, because obviously it was to November 2016 when the election happened. So I guess he maybe only signed up for a year. Maybe he only signed a year contract. Yeah, I feel like there was something that was not explained to the audience there. And, and again, it's another one of these cases where I've been pissed off by the media for, like, similarly to, you know, um, Saturday Night Live. I mean... Just if, if if you're taking a principled stand against this guy, uh, you, you, that's not a nine to five job. You, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, like we'd be doing this uh, podcast year round, right? Rain or shine. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'm just saying, like, this is not a thing where you know, okay, all right, well, we complained about Trump enough for this year. Uh, we'll, we'll be back in three months. Or I think he's done, plus my contract expired and these people are not going to keep paying me. So I'm going to stop producing these videos about Donald Trump. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Something you're, there's something you're not telling us there because mm-hmm. he's, he's still there. You know, if you did, if I said that and three months later, the president was still in power, yeah. I'd be back on that grind and be like, okay, I made a prediction I was wrong, so I'm going to keep hammering his ass. How about that? Yeah, I mean, I wrote a, uh, on election day, my, my final column was, uh, Trump, you're fired, and uh, I had to eat those words. But I didn't stop. I didn't stop criticizing the administration even after that, after I was wrong. So, um, yeah, that's not an excuse for, for, for calling it a day. <laughs> yeah, and for any, any Trump listeners out there who want to say, yeah, you guys are always wrong about Trump, so uh, so you should just give up or something. Like, just remember how many times you've been wrong. Mm-hmm. How many how many things about the uh, Russian collusion did you say would never come to pass, and then yeah. they came to pass? And how many how many you know? Oh, we would never support a child molester, and then you had the Roy Moore. Yep. Thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, we would never, we would never ever. You know, uh, Bill Clinton's sexual impropriety was disgraceful. Oh, Donald Trump, you know, he's a he was a private citizen before, and he's a reform man who was <laughs> a Democrat. He was a Democrat then too. Don't forget that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so don't don't bitch at us about being wrong about Donald Trump because I guarantee you people have been wrong every bit as much, and mm-hmm. you probably continue to be wrong more so than we do. So, well, I mean, I think you know you can't blame people for assuming that the rules will work as they've worked all, all the time up until now. You you know what I mean? It's like, why, why does this guy get a pass for all this stuff? And there's yeah. really no other reason other than the fact that the, the Republicans are enabling Trump at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, so, that's... I mean, did you read the... Are you familiar with... Uh, you, you know Matt Taibbi, right? I do. Rolling Stone stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I've been reading him since at least, like, 2006 or something during the Bush years. Yep. He's a very good writer. I like him a lot in yep. some ways. But um, I, I got his book, uh, Insane Clown President. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talks, he has a whole chapter about how the, like the, I don't know if he calls it the bullet of death or the kiss of death or something, which is something the media is, has always been able to do to politicians or anybody in the public sphere when they want them to make amends or apologize or recant or something like that, which is they just start publishing a lot of stuff about it and, you know, doing think pieces about it and kind of making it a, making it a thing. And inevitably the, the candidate or the person has to, you know, apologize or clarify or come back to the media and try to re-explain what they meant and stuff. But Donald Trump just never did that. And so they, this is the first time that the media has ever, attempted this and it, it basically didn't work anymore and so they were very confused about what to do mm-hmm. and so that was an interesting thing i think that's and that's something i think about too here 
Yeah, it reminds me of a tweet I saw once. It was like, I like to see Donald Trump wriggle out of this pickle. And then, like, it's like, in parentheses, Donald Trump wriggles out of this one. Ah, well, nevertheless. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's like every single time. It's like, ah, we got him this time for sure. It's over. Game over, dude. (laughs) Well, it's like uh, Bill Maher even said, you know, it's like, you don't know who's going to, like, come, like, you know, we're, we're talking about, you know, Stormy Daniels and Michael Avenatti and, you know, well, you campaign finance got him on that. You can't. You know, I'd like to see him argue his way out of this one. It's like, well, who's gonna tell him? Come with me, Mr. President. You're arrested now. Like, like no one's gonna. I don't see him going willingly for any reason. I want to know how he's actually going to go, because I don't see it. You know, I saw the news today. Also, a big story. Michael Cohen, the lawyer, apparently was in Prague in 2016. Okay, this could be the smoking gun collusion that we've been looking for, meeting with Russians. Another smoking we gun. Had, I was just going to say, right. we actually have but, a few. Yes, but this would be even... Like his smoking. son. This is his <laughs> consigliere, his, his mall lawyer, right. his idiot fixer, right. yeah. is Back meeting well, directly he's... with Russians. Okay, this would be a bigger smoking gun. I still don't understand how, even if they impeach him, Bill Clinton was impeached, you have to convict Right. For that, you need 67 senators. And at most, the Democrats, if they win the 2018 election, are going to have, what, 54 senators? No. So that means you'd have 13, you'd need 13 Republicans with a conscience? Good fucking luck. And now he's toying with the idea of having more than two terms, like FDR. And, uh, you know, I don't think he's going to yeah. leave willingly. So I said, unless they give me an extension for the presidency... which I don't think the fake news media would be too happy about. Wait, 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 wait. Actually, they would be happy because when I'm not here, their ratings are going to sink. So they'll probably be very happy. The thing is, I mean, the the dangerous thing about this altered democracy is when somebody's above the law, uh, okay, like let's say that the you know I don't know the Supreme Court or the police or the Justice Department or somebody determines that he should be arrested as a criminal, right? Mm-hmm. The police go into the White House to arrest him, and what what does the Secret Service do? Do they stand down? Yeah, um, probably not, right? And so I think this is where you get into territory where things like coups happen, military coups, like. Because, like, I mean, the Secret Service, like, what is their duty? Their ultimate, their only duty is to protect the president. Like, and if there's any plausible argument, any any fig leaf that they can cling to that, you know, it's a partisan witch hunt or something that, that he's being arrested or something, then, like, they don't have, you know, like, they don't have a reason to stop protecting him, basically. And, like, or if you want to go deeper than that, I mean, he hasn't, he's kept his personal security force in addition to the, so, you know, the Secret Service. And not to be too hyperbolic, but that is how the Nazi SS started. So, you know, <laughs> well, who are they going to be loyal to? Obviously, the person paying them, which would be the president. Okay, well. We'll we'll hire Dog the Bounty Hunter to deal with them. Yeah, right, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Why why didn't I think of that? (laughs) 
He's probably a Trump voter. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think they, they go to the, the the same hair dye place. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm just saying, like, I mean, this is my concern. Like, I can't conceptualize of how a president would be arrested, you know? Yeah. And, you know, in America, like, we have this, this noble idea, which is we've talked about free speech before. We've talked about how people just say, oh, free speech, free speech, free speech, free speech. No restriction, right? Like, they don't actually think about what that means or what the consequences of that are. I also think, like, people don't really think about the fact that, essentially, our president is above the law. I mean, like, you know, that's not, that's a very um, apparently convincing argument that's being put forward these days. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't mean it's convincing. I mean, it's like it's it seems to have paralyzed news media, the mainstream media, the talking heads, the... Uh, criminal justice department, the, uh, you know, any, any, all aspects of society that would be responsible for this. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, if, if there was a group of people like trying to arrest Adolf Hitler or Kim Jong-un or something, we'd say, wow, what heroes in their society. But like, yeah, there's going to be a part of the society that is going to be protecting the president, even if there's a legal justification or, you know, um, you know, even if there's a reason to snag them and mm-hmm. take them to jail, put them on trial or something like, I don't know. I'm just saying like, what's separating the American presidency from, uh, other kinds of leadership that America does not endorse, uh, mm-hmm. if the, if the leader cannot be brought to account. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and if the leader can't be brought to account through legal means, eventually what is that going to necessitate? Right, yeah, it's, or it's, eventuate. Yeah, it's a scary, a scary thing. But in fact, um, if you if you have Sarah Kinzinger on again, is that her name right? Yeah, I think that's how you say it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you have her again on, you might ask her about that. Like the fact that um, this president doesn't. I mean, that we're, we're we're starting to see the limits of the idea that the president is not above the law being exploded here mm-hmm. and eventually what will happen what can happen what probably might happen if we eventually determine that the american president is not beholden to the law uh how does that usually end in other countries when yeah. you know or if he pardoned that, or, that, or if he uh, pardons himself that would be another thing yeah yeah i don't know I can imagine Donald Trump pardoning himself would be hilarious because he probably wouldn't actually pardon himself because he'd say, I, I was going to come here to pardon myself today, but uh, actually, I, I don't think I did anything wrong, so there's nothing to pardon. What's the pardon? <laughs> like, <laughs> all right, Mr. Trump, you're going to jail. <laughs> well, that's part of why apparently he's all gung-ho for this talking to Mueller is because he doesn't think he's done anything wrong or he thinks he can talk his way out of it. Um, so, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I hope he does. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Swear him in now. We'll see, how, we'll see who's clever, more clever there. Yeah. Well, it's not really a question of if he should testify because he can either agree to do this or, with his lawyers, or he can get called in front of the grand jury and have to do it by himself. <laughs> Without the lawyers, which is probably a scarier option for him, I would think he'd want the lawyers there. I mean, that's what Bill Clinton did, is he did that videotape. Who are his lawyers at this point? Rudy Giuliani and who? <laughs> Jay Se- the other Jay guy? Sekulow. Jay Sekulow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Ty Cobb is gone. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I don't know. Besides, he'll probably start a fight with his lawyers right there during the dep- deposition. So. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we got we got to wrap this up. So let me see. Um, let's see. Um, so again, so okay, yeah, again on February sixth, uh, Trump made one of his seething, self-pitying, and unsolicited phone calls without presumption of confidentiality to a passing New Yorker media acquaintance, who, again, we suspect may be the author of this book. <laughs> I hadn't thought about um, that until you said it, but I think you're right. Yeah, that's. I mean, he ends the chapter that way, and he, he's like, he's kind of setting it up like. This was kind of annoying. It was unsolicited, and there was no presumption of, you know, I think he's kind of, like, annoyed. He got a late phone call that night or something like that. But I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe his his uh, his exposure to the president was uh, less than he would like to let on, but I sure. don't know. Anyways, um, next paragraph here. What does this say? Um, continuing under the rubric of media he hated, he veered to CNN and the deep disloyalty of its chief, Jeff Zucker. Zucker, who as the head of NBC had commissioned The Apprentice, had been, quote-unquote, made by Trump. Trump said of himself in the third person. (laughs) And Trump had personally, quote-unquote, personally gotten Zucker his job at CNN. Yes, yes, I did, said Trump. (laughs) I I made a note here. Who made whom here? Yeah, right. Maybe Jeff Zucker made Donald Trump. Exactly. Iteration there. Yeah. By giving him The Apprentice. Right. Um, Yeah. Um, Finally, continuing on to the last page here. Uh, how much influence do you think Steve Bannon has over me? Trump demanded and repeated the question and then repeated the answer. Zero, zero. And that went, and that went for his son-in-law too, who had a lot to learn. Uh, the media was not only hurting him, he said, he was not looking for any agreement or really even any response, but hurting his negotiating capabilities, which hurt the nation. And that went for Saturday Night Live, too, which might think it was very funny, but was actually hurting everybody in the country. And while he understood that SNL was there to be mean to him, they were being very, very mean. It was uh, fake comedy. Oh, the fake comedy. Fake comedy. comedy. My favorite type of comedy. The fake comedy. <laughs> yeah, fake news, fake comedy, <laughs> fake president. <laughs> it's just a magical incantation you can just recite, and it makes all your problems go away. Just fake insert thing here. <laughs> yeah, and finally they wrap up here. And what the media was doing was undermining this very dignified house, and dignity is so important. End quote. <laughs> um, the right. call went on for twenty six minutes. Oh my gosh! <laughs> so it sounds like. See, again, that that's detail Michael Wolf. It's got to be. Yeah, this was a conversation I think that Michael Wolf had with Trump, and he was annoyed Clearly. because it was probably like eleven thirty at night. Donald Trump calls him up and bitches and moans about CNN and Saturday Night Live and yeah. all this stuff for twenty six minutes. All hopped up on Diet Coke yeah. and McDonald's. But again, I mean, these kind of details. The call went on for twenty six minutes. These are the kind of details that make it like unimpeachable that this guy is not lying about these things. It's like Donald Trump doesn't even want to try to like get his people out there to say that this didn't happen because like the call was twenty six minutes. It's like <laughs> this guy's got the record. He will, you know, if you try to contest that, 
it's going to be a rough day for you. Yeah, yeah. I remember when the book came out, they just kind of issued a blanket. Oh, none of this is true. Like, none of it. Not a thing. <laughs> like, okay. You mentioned the statement the president put out. It was very harsh, and it basically says the entire book is fiction. That said, a note explaining how the book came to be said that the authors conducted interviews for 18 months, including many with the president, spoke to over 200 people, many of the president's top aides and people. He never actually sat down with the president, just to be very clear. Since the president, uh, there was one brief conversation uh, that had nothing to do originally with the book. Uh, it was, I think, around five to seven minutes in total since the president's taken office, and that's the only interaction that he's had. That's the only interaction that the president has had with Michael Wolff since he took office. If you could reconcile the president's statement with the author's statement about how the book came to be. Uh, I, I'm not sure what the author's statement is on how the book came to be. I know that the book is uh, has a lot of things so far of what we've seen that are completely untrue. You have many people that have uh, quotes that are sourced to them that are now coming out publicly and saying that those things are not true. And so I, I can't speak to what the author's comments were. I can only speak for the White House. Darling. Does the White House have a copy of the book? Uh, I believe there may be some individuals that do. It, does, it doesn't matter. The people who want to hear that will hear that, and everybody else will ignore it. I mean, like, Trump supporters will say, oh, okay, oh, the fake book, the fake novel, yep. the, the, you know, the fake nonfiction. Put it in the uh, fiction section next to Harry Potter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I always said burning books was bad, but now I think it's good. <laughs> Make America great again. I'm going to listen to the Kanye album next. Yeah. Oh yeah, Kanye. That was a thing. That was a thing we talked about last night, I believe, briefly, um, with regards to the the ta Hissy Coates article that really mm -hmm. rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. Because I mean, I don't know. I, to me, it's entirely transparent what happened there. Um, again, I, I, it might be better to re-encapsulate re it than we more than we did last night, but. Mm -hmm. um, Kanye West is the person who said Donald or George W. Bush doesn't like black people. He hates no, black he doesn't, people, doesn't right? care about black people. Okay. Yeah. And while Mike Myers looked on in horror. <laughs> yeah. With the breach of three levees protecting New Orleans, the landscape of the city has changed dramatically, tragically, and perhaps irreversibly. There's now over 25 feet of water where there was once city streets and thriving neighborhoods. I hate the way they portray us in the media. If you see a black family, it says they're looting. If you see a white family, it says they're looking for food. And you know it's been five days because most of the people are black. And even for me to complain about, I would be a hypocrite because I've tried to turn away from the teacher TV because it's too hard to watch. I've even been shopping before even giving a donation. So now I'm calling my business manager right now to see what's, what is the biggest amount I can give. And, and just to imagine if I was, if I was down there and those are, those are my people down there. So anybody out there that wants to do anything that we can help with, with the setup, the way America is set up to help the, um, uh, the poor, the, the black people, the, uh, 
the less well off as slow as possible. I mean, this is Red Cross is doing everything they can. We, we already realize a lot of the people that could help are at war right now fighting another way. And they, they, they've given them permission to go down and shoot us. And subtle, but in even many ways more profoundly devastating, is the lasting damage to the survivors' will to rebuild and remain in the area. The destruction of the spirit of the people of southern Louisiana and Mississippi may end up being the most tragic loss of all. George Bush doesn't care about black people. I mean, and good, you know, at that time, good for Kanye West, right? But for him to, to say, I, I, I mean, my God, George, H. W., George W. Bush... I don't know. He had a Condoleezza Rice. He had a Colin Powell. He sure okay. did. I mean, Donald Trump had an Omarosa, but I mean, let's keep it real. If you're going to say that George Bush didn't like black people, and you're going to try and stand up for Donald Trump in 2018, mm-hmm. don't you know? Yeah, don't have Coates come to me and say, "Oh, well, uh, supporting Trump is actually kind of a counterintuitive, revolutionary reassertion of." The fact that Kanye West is not black, he's Kanye, and he wants the same white privilege to support Trump that white people have. But you remember where that quote was from, right? I'm not black, I'm OJ. Okay. That's from the uh, OJ documentary. That's a quote that one of OJ's friends says about that he related to him being like, oh, you're a black guy. He's like, no, I'm not black, I'm OJ. When I met him, I was quite taken with him. This was kind of a warm June night in 1969. Howard Cosell took O.J. and me to Bachelors 3, which was Joe Namath's bar. He was telling me a story about being at a teammate's wedding with his wife, sitting at a table of mostly, as he said, Negroes. And he overheard a white woman the next table saying, look, there's OJ sitting with all those niggers. And I remember in my naive day saying to OJ, I must be terrible for you. He said, no, it was great. Don't you understand? She knew that I wasn't black. She saw me as OJ. And, And really at that moment, um, I thought he was fucked. I, in the last year, I've, I read the, uh, what was it, Jeffrey Tubin or whoever mm-hmm. wrote the, the yeah. uh, mm-hmm. run of his life. The run yeah. of his mm-hmm. life. Sure. Yeah, the O.J. Simpson mm-hmm. trial and mm-hmm. stuff. I, I've read that. I read that book. And yep. I finished it up when I was back in America there. It was really good. Mm-hmm. Very good book. And yeah, I liked it a lot. And, and he, yeah, he, he had an entire section about how, uh, you know, O.J. Simpson, he, as soon as he got out of the hood that he grew up in, he did not look back. No, he, he did not lift up the community, and he loved hanging out with the cops. He had the cops yep. over to his, to his house all the to time swim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He hung out with a bunch of white people in yep. in Malibu. Right. Well, if anything, was, he got special treatment 
that other people didn't get because he was famous and a celebrity and somebody that palled around with the cops anyway. So they covered up for him for years. You know, he ran from the police at one point when there was a domestic violence call against Nicole. So, you know, and he got out of that scot-free. So, um, you know, if anything, he was protected by the police, which is ironic given the, you know, whole uh, line of defense from Johnny Cochran later in the trial with the, you know, conspiracy to frame him for this murder and plant the glove and Mark Furman and all that. So... Um, yeah, yeah. So, so I, yeah, I, I, I agree. I think like, um, but but my, I, I don't know. I, I forget how this correlates with uh, Kanye right now. But but my point is that, yeah, like I don't buy. I, it, it kind of angered me the article because I read the whole thing. It was a long, plodding, you know, slow to get to the point kind of think piece or something on the Atlantic by Ta-Nehisi Coates about how. You know, I don't think he was justifying what he was doing, though. I don't think he was saying it was right. I just think he was like Kanye views himself as as beyond race. A lot, though. He was really equivocating. I feel sure. And I, I just feel like for somebody who has so much moral clarity on so many issues and will just come right out and say exactly what he thinks as far as like reparations or the, the place yeah. of white supremacy in American society in 2018 for him to be equivocating about Kanye West when Kanye is supporting Donald Trump. Like Kanye is when yeah. an important figure for black people, I think why well, and for culture in general, but like he's probably Kanye. Yeah, absolutely. He's probably one of the most famous black people on the planet. I would say, uh, well, Donald Trump is one of the most famous white people. What the hell does that have to do with merit? <laughs> right, but he was never like he was never like the like I don't know. Uh, I feel like Kanye West has been I mean, at the like Kanye, apex Kanye of. Was not Martin Luther King here. He was not no. Malcolm X. He no. Was, <laughs> well, know, I mean, he he, he talked about that. how you know when he when he says like that 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 song crack music. You know, he talks about we did this and we did that. He's speaking more for the black community in a way that white people aren't. But like now he's trying to like by embracing Trump, he's trying to shed that. He just wants to be past racial in some way. And I think he's just yeah, trying to understand what, what he's trying to do, like not condoning it, but yeah, just maybe trying to understand. say yeah. like, you know, the West invented, you know, democracy, the television, the computer, the printing press, etc. And mm-hmm. so we're, you know, racially superior because of it. I'm not interested in like claims about what a person's race has done per se. <laughs> I mean, I like, I don't know. That doesn't make Kanye. I don't know. I've liked some of Kanye's music too. I didn't really like Gold Digger. That was not my jam. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like The Good Life. I like yeah. that song a lot. That's a good one. That's a great song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked uh, the one where he's talking about Chicago going home or something like that. Yeah. Uh, but hold on one sec. Hey, I didn't know the tale. No, I, I agree with you. I think Kanye's totally gone off the rails, and I don't think we need to listen to him on anything anymore. But I'm just saying, like, there is a reason that, like, Kanye West's having this opinion about Donald Trump matters more than just him as a person having this opinion. So. Um, I don't know. I think, like, 
I don't know. I just I, I, I don't think special exceptions should be made for any particular Trump supporter. You know, uh, you know, people. He, he seems to think that like the people who supported Trump are going to get a pass, but Kanye might be held responsible or something. Was it another tone that came across in the article? Hmm. I'm like, no, 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 don't worry. We're gonna we're gonna hold the Trump supporters accountable on our end, but you guys hold Kanye accountable too because like. <laughs> I don't know. It's whatever. Right. You know, you could, you could argue that maybe Kanye married into this crazy ass motherfucking, uh, Kardashian. Back to OJ again. Yeah. Kardashian. We're going back to Kardashian. This is all relates back to OJ. It's all, it's yeah. all related. Kardashians, you know, Robert Kardashian. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Like what, what's the father's Juice. name? Jenner. Juice. Name? Juice. Jenner. This letter was written by OJ today. To whom it may concern. First, everyone understand I had nothing to do with Nicole's murder. I loved her, always have, and always will. If we had a problem, it's because I love her I loved her so much. Recently we came to the understanding that for now, we were not right for each other, at least for now. Despite our love, we were different, and that's why we mutually agreed to go our separate ways. It was tough splitting for a second time, but we both knew it was for the best. Inside, I had no doubt that in the future, we would be close friends, or more. Unlike what has been written in the press, Nicole and I had a great relationship for most of our lives together. Like all long-term relationships, we had a few downs and ups. I took the heat New Year's 1989 because that's what I was supposed to do. I did not plead no contest for any other reason but to protect our privacy and was advised it would end the press hype. I don't want to belabor knocking the press. But I can't believe what is being said. Most of it is totally made up. I know you have a job to do, but as a last wish, please, please, please leave my children in peace. Their lives will be tough enough. I want to send my love and thanks to all my friends. I'm sorry I can't name every one of you, especially AC. Man, thanks for being in my life. The support and friendship I received from so many, Wayne Hughes, Lewis Marks, Frank Olson, Mark Packer, Bender, Bobby Kardashian. I wish we had spent more time together in recent years. My golfing buddies, us, Alan Austin, Mike, Craig, Bender, Weiler, Sandy, Jay, Donnie, thanks for the fun. All my teammates over the years, Reggie, you were soul of my pro career.
Ahmad, I never stop being proud of you. Marcus, you got a great lady in Catherine. Don't mess it up. Bobby Chandler, thanks for always being there. Skip and Kathy, I love you guys. Without you, I never would have made it through this far. Marguerite, thanks for the early years. We had some fun. Paula, what can I say? You are special. I'm sorry, I'm not going to have, we're not going to have our chance. God brought you to me. I now see as I leave, you'll be in my thoughts. I think of my life and feel I've done most of the right things. So why do I end up like this? I can't go on. No matter what the outcome, people will look and point. I can't take that. I can't subject my children to that. This way, they can move on and go on with their lives. Please, if I've done anything worthwhile in my life, let my kids live in peace from you, the press. I've had a good life. I'm proud of how I lived. My mama taught me to do unto others. I treated people the way I wanted to be treated. I've always tried to be up and helpful. So why is this happening? I'm sorry for the Goldman family. I know how much it hurts. Nicole and I had a good life together. All this press talk about a rocky relationship was no more than that, than, I'm sorry, no more than what every long-term relationship experiences. All her friends will confirm that I have been totally loving and understanding of what she's been going through. At times, I have felt like a battered husband or boyfriend, but I loved her make that clear to everyone and I would take whatever it took to make it work. Don't feel sorry for me. I've had a great life, great friends. Please think of the real OJ and not this lost person. Thanks for making my life special. I hope I helped yours. Peace and love, OJ. Jenner, Bruce Jenner, Caitlin Jenner, call me Caitlin. Caitlin, yeah, whatever it is now, you know, one day he's a man, another day he's a woman, one day he's, you know, he's transsexual, the next day he's a Trump supporter, the next day, oh my God, I can't believe Trump has betrayed (laughs) trans rights, he told me he wouldn't do this, like, oh, I Mm -hmm. can't believe it. Yeah. And, And here we are with Kanye, too, like, I don't know, you know. Uh, I just these people they got to be held to account. The the Bush people were not held to account, and now we got a bunch of people. I don't know what was I. I was watching the thing um, Morning Joe. Mm-hmm. There's that woman on Morning Joe. Uh, Mika? She was like a, a Bush speechwriter. Uh, I don't know. Um, I can't remember her name actually, but she's on there. She was a Bush speechwriter or something or a communications 
uh, expert or something like that. But she's on Morning Joe now. Mm-hmm. And she, like, they were interviewing, they're doing a roundtable discussion with somebody who had written, like, a very critical book about George W. Bush or something, or saying something very critical about him. And she's like, I, I was waiting for, like, five minutes. What's she going to say? Because she's sitting at the table, and she's always a tireless Bush defender because she was there during those days, and she had the inside story. And Nicole, Wa- N- like, Nicole, Nicole, Nicole Wallace? Nicole Wallace? Wallace, that sounds right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so a lot of people, you know, even like, I don't know, David Frum or whoever, there's there's people on the Atlantic, you know, byline, too, who mm-hmm. were in the Bush administration. And so, you know, a lot of people got a pass. And I think it's important that we don't do that for the Trump people. It's hard to see how it would. It's a stink that shouldn't wash off, that's for sure. Yeah. Because, I mean, we know who Trump is at this point. We just, you know, it's all the enablers and people around him that we are seeing the character of by not standing up to him when he needs to be checked in all these ways. So, Yeah, yeah. Well, as I think, I, as I mentioned last night, I think that the, the Kanye thing is very transparently that, you know, he had beef with Jay-Z mm-hmm. and Jay-Z had Obama mm-hmm. and Obama called out Kanye for being a jackass. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Jay-Z's getting invited, he and Beyonce getting invited to the White House and hanging out with Obama, and there's, you know, mm-hmm. Obama, like, wipes the dirt off his shoulder on TV and stuff, and, like, it's so awesome, and it's this, this hip-hop slash White House melding that has never, ever occurred before, mm-hmm. with the possible exception of, to some degree, Bill Clinton with certain kinds of black music, and, and Kanye wanted his piece of that, and he can't wait four to eight years for the next president, who <laughs> might be a more reasonable choice, and figures, hey, I'm a narcissistic megalomaniac, and so is Donald Trump, and maybe that's enough. Right? <laughs> right? So I don't think, like, again, Ta-Nehisi Coates' article just rubbed me the wrong way, because it's like, it's very transparently, that's what it is, right? Mm-hmm. You don't have to, you know, uh, wring your hands about this for, like, uh, 8,000 words or something. <laughs> yeah. So. Fair enough. Uh, did you read that article? I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't mm-hmm. see him as defending him as much as maybe you did in that. Um, I just saw it more mm-hmm. as like trying to make sense of why it was happening and maybe maybe not coming to the right conclusions necessarily, but um, making some insights along the way. I, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Facebook saying like, "Oh, guys, if, if you're mad at Kanye for for supporting Trump, then you just don't get it yet. Kanye's already played you. It's, it's all a publicity grip." And like. Uh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I, I don't, I don't buy this whole art- argument that there's some deeper level that Kanye is working at by supporting Trump, or that it's excusable, or that it's, you know, it's understandable, or, mm-hmm. you know, let alone his comments on, what was it, TMZ, where he's like, uh, slavery mm-hmm. was a choice. After mm-hmm. 400 years, that was a choice. I mean, mm-hmm. come on, people, come mm-hmm. on. If anything should piss coats off, that should be it, I think, right? Like, I mean, like, come on, that should be the final nail of the coffin. Of, uh, I'm not sure if that came out before right? or after that piece. Yeah. Maybe it was after, I don't know, but yeah. But it, it should have been clear by that point that that's the road he's on. Sure. People who support Trump say stupid shit. It's, it's like a prerequisite. You know it's coming, <laughs> right? Like, Scaramucci lasted a week because he... You know, got high on his own supply. I guess we could say. <laughs> right. <laughs> he went off the rails in a very Trumpian fashion, and he set set a lot of records with yeah. the speed of uh, removal. Mm-hmm. 
we now measure things in Scaramucci's. Yeah, I mean, when somebody says they support Trump publicly, um, the countdown begins for the stupid, the next stupid thing they're going to say or do. Mm-hmm. Well, you want to end with a joke? Okay, you got a joke? No, I'm asking you for a joke. You said you, you've been oh. keeping him. Who's on first? Shit, <laughs> <laughs> I'm all out of jokes. You're all out of jokes? Okay. <laughs> well, keep reading, people. We're on Chapter 7. Getting through it. Yeah. And we, we might have to advise people, Bob, too, if we're going to try to watch up to Episode 5 of The Wire. Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can watch, I can watch three more episodes before we speak again. So. Okay. Okay. It won't be too much of an imposition, I promise you that. Mm -hmm. But there will be ample things to talk about, I guarantee it. All right, well, uh, anyways, uh, yeah, thanks again for listening to our listeners, and uh, we will be with you again soon. Yeah, have a good night, Chuck. Yeah, good night, Bob. Later.
If you enjoy this podcast, there are several ways to support it. Join the Rob Burgess Show mailing list. Go to tinyletter.com forward slash the Rob Burgess Show and type in your email address. Then respond to the automatic message. I have a Patreon account, which can be found at patreon.com forward slash Rob Burgess Show Patreon. I hope you'll consider supporting in any amount. Also, please make sure to comment, follow, like, subscribe, share, rate, and review everywhere the podcast is available, including iTunes, YouTube, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Facebook, Twitter, Internet Archive, TuneIn, and RSS. The official website for the podcast is www.therobburgessshow.com. You can find out more about me by visiting my website, www.thisburgess.com. And if you have something to say, record a voice memo on your smartphone and send it to therobburgessshow at gmail.com. Include voice memo in the subject line of the email. Until next time.